the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Planted with Sarah Pion. I'm Sarah Pion, your host. And today we have Erica Tingey, who is the head of product at Backbone. Um, her work at Backbone is driven by solving unique problems in the cannab- that cannabis companies face, developing features based on client insights while minding the future vision for Backbone products. Erica holds a Bachelor of Arts in Modern Language from Pomona College and a Master of Fine Arts in Choreography from Mills College. We get a lot of wonderful, intelligent, artsy people in our industry. Drawing from a background as a software engineer at QuickBooks and product management at Sage Enact, Erica brings expertise in financial systems, accounting, and inventory to the needs of mid-tier enterprise customers. Additionally, Erica performs product design, data analysis, problem solving, customer research, and helps develop strong engineering teams at Backbone. Welcome, Erica. You have quite a, a background. It's uh, it's it's very it's very rich because you have both the more analytical and creative, huh? Yeah, thanks, Sarah. It's great to be here. Um, it's true. You know, actually, I found that with software engineers, we tend to be really be using both sides of our brain. So I can't tell you how many engineers I've known who also played an instrument or did art or some other kind of thing. So it's actually more common than you would think. Yeah, uh, back back in the 90s, and I'm totally dating myself now. <laughs> <laughs> I used to work for a software development company that developed for other software companies. They developed a platform for other software companies to develop off of. And I worked on the 12th floor, which was development. And they were all, it was really like, these were people who did algorithms for fun and loved to play music. So there, I mean, there's such a correlation. I, I really, even now it amazes me. It shouldn't, but it does. Yeah, it's really, it's it's funny that way. And, you know, I think software engineering actually uh, is a little bit more of an art than one would think. It's, um, it's pretty creative. That's one of the things that I really loved about it was, you know, getting to think about problems and then solve them in, in a creative way that maybe, you know, the person who was asking for the solution wouldn't have thought of. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, backing up a little more before that, it's a question I always like to ask our guests. When did you? When was your first experience with cannabis? When? When did you? When did it first catch your eye? You know, it's it's interesting because you know back in high school, when of course it was when I was in high school, it was definitely not legal. Um, I smoked with some friends, and you know, I didn't really get into it much, um, and I kind of left it by the wayside for quite some time. While I was working and I got married and I had my daughter um, and it wasn't until relatively recently that I sort of came back to to looking at it and um, and thinking about it. It really was um, my friend Vic, who's the founder of Backbone, um, when he started talking to me about the industry and how it was growing. Um, I've always had friends who have been working in the industry as it's, you know, medicinal and, and gotten um you know, more and more towards the legal side. Um, so we're always sort of in the periphery, but it was really he who brought me to start thinking about it as a really interesting problem space that I wanted to get into. Um, and now that I'm here, oh my gosh, the the amount of community um, and just uh, the number of amazing people who are part of the cannabis industry, I'm so happy that I found my way here. Well, we're glad to have you. <laughs> it is. I, I'm always like, whenever I, I meet new people in the industry, it's I'm always so grateful to have such creative, intelligent, caring people to work with. I think that's been one of the most wonderful things. And like coming from, I you know, I have a corporate and nonprofit background. So when I got into the cannabis space. I was like, it's kind of a mixture of that, but I was, when I first went to college, I was a theater major, so I was like, it's also like being with a bunch of theater people, too, at the same time. <laughs> yep. Yeah, really interesting, fun yeah. people. And, you know, the number of amazing women who are in the industry, it's really been nice to connect with a lot of them. Um, I just went to the She Can uh, 
conference. I don't know if, if you were there. Um, it was purely virtual, but it was just an amazing number of really strong women speakers. And it was a great day. That's awesome. Yeah, I, um, I had tickets, but then I ended up having a crazy day, so I wasn't able to go. But they, the Haas students put together a really great conference. I, I'm looking forward to next year's and seeing what they do. They're, they're a great group of students, for sure. Yes, especially if we can all actually get together in person. Oh, wouldn't that be That's nice? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just got my first vaccination, so I'm, I'm so excited. Um, we just, uh, just the other week, I took a little staycation, and we went up to wine country and actually reserved a tasting, and it was our first time in over a year having an outing, and it was... It was so incredibly nice. Everybody was spaced out. There were only six tables, and it actually felt safe. And that was like, I mean, I'm I'm built for quarantine because I'm a little bit like I love people, but I have to recharge and be away. But even I was getting a little antsy <laughs> by now, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm an extrovert, so it's it's been pretty rough for me not to see too many people but it's nice to be starting to get out a little bit more yeah um, you sort of alluded to this at the beginning I um, dance I have a, an MFA in choreography and I've been dancing you know pretty much my whole life I started when I was four uh, we just recently started up rehearsals again and it's kind of the same thing like we're only allowed to have nine people in the studio and we have to clean afterwards and we all have to wear masks and we, you know we try to stay six feet away from each other as we're dancing together but it's just so nice to be in the presence of people again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's um, that's something that I've been reflecting on a lot in the past years, you know, having a lot of empathy for those who are fueled by interactions with others because it's been a really, really tough year. And I'm glad that you're able to not only socialize, but to be able to get some creative expression because that's, I think... It's like for some people, going inward is an opportunity for that, but not for everybody. Yep. So, yeah, that's really true. <laughs> so tell me a little bit more about Backbone. Yeah, so um, we have been around for about two, three, three and a half years maybe now. Um, I've been part of Backbone for two and a half years. Um, and we really focus on problems that cannabis operators have, especially in the manufacturing space. Um, you know, there's a lot of software out there for point of sale for the retail companies and for cultivation. Um, but manufacturing has been underserved, partly because it's a pretty complicated problem to solve. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that manufacturers need to know about in their processes. Um, and the regulations are complicated and, you know, they're different in every single state. Um, so we focused on that and, um, you know, it's been really interesting as we've talked to these manufacturers, uh, learning about what the problems are that they need to solve, especially around data. So needing to understand yields and what their productivity is what their costs are and being able to map their processes um, in a way that shows them the data, exactly the data that they need. Um, and one of the nice things that we've come across as we've built up this product that targets manufacturers is we found that we really can then tailor the features that we've made for these people to other areas of the industry. So we, you know, we can, handle a little bit of cultivation, we can handle distribution and really cover the end-to-end -end, uh, needs of cannabis operators. That's amazing because for so long, I everybody was, it's, it's just, it's, it's interesting to see how we're ramping up and starting to mature as an industry because, you know, that didn't exist when I first started working in cannabis, it was, you know, what well, was the medicinal times where people showed up with their bags of whatever they grew. There was an exchange, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you, you may have some internal inventory controls, but that's about it. 
and the bags of cash. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And and I think one of the the really exciting things about the industry maturing is looking at like the needs and and looking at it from an educational standpoint, like thinking about people who might be interested in in cannabis looking for career opportunities and never realizing that something like supply chain management might be something that actually captures our imagination. You know, it's these jobs that we don't think about like when we're younger, like, you know, you're not, you're not like six years old thinking, I want to be a supply chain management (laughs) professional, (laughs) you know? And then later on, it's like, it captures your imagination. You're like, let's do this. It's cannabis. It's interesting. It's it's applicable skills and stuff like that. Yeah, it's surprisingly fun to work in supply chain management. You wouldn't think so. Yeah. Well, especially if you like <laughs> what you're working with, right? Yep. Totally <laughs> true. Yeah. And, you know, I'm definitely finding that to be true. So, you know, we've been talking to a lot of the smaller operators in California as we've built up our software um, and, you know, they definitely had a slightly different mindset from, um, so going a little bit into my background, you know, I started off uh, working on QuickBooks. So I worked with a lot of small business owners um, and cannabis, the cannabis small manufacturers that we've been working with so far, um, they had a similar mindset, you know, to do their business. They really didn't want to focus on these other problems that they had to solve, like data tracking. Um, but as we're moving into some of the larger companies, um, you know, a lot of people are coming in from the from other industries, mm-hmm. pharmaceuticals or food manufacturing, um, and they've worked with other systems uh, that do this sort of thing. You know, they've worked with full ERP systems, uh, enterprise resource planning systems, or, you know, full uh, financial uh, tracking systems. Um, and so they're really expecting these kinds of things for cannabis, but because cannabis has these really unique problems like the compliance end and, um, you know, some of the specifics of how cannabis gets manufactured, like needing to understand potencies and having so much variability in both the cost of buying cannabis and also the, the yields out of what you buy, um, they're really seeing the value in having a cannabis-specific software, something that's built specifically for the cannabis industry. Yeah. And also I'm wondering, so with your system and the data that's captured, can your, can your clients see the trends and sales and stuff like that? Like what's been moving the most? Yeah. So, you know, we kind of look at it from two different sides. So there's the supply side um, and that's mainly what we track. And then there's the demand side, which generally people are getting from their uh, retail software, uh, retailer sales software. Um, And so what we're trying to do is marry those two together and be able to look at them in the same place so that you can look at, you know, what is the demand for these products by, by, you know, strain or by type of product. So in order to plan your production in a way that's going to match what the demand's going to be in, you know, three months, six months, whatever the time frame is that you need to plan for. Yeah, I can. It, it's it's just so interesting because I was just thinking about like in the past before we had these these controls in place, it was it was really challenging to figure out. Like you could tell when stuff would sell or not, but to be able to have the data there right in front of you is is really really important and like before well like even now there'll be different things that will come out about you know trends with sales things like that a lot of companies don't like to share their data so you don't get a really good well-rounded view on what's going on like statewide um but you'll get people that will say like like a few years ago, there were some articles that came out, and I'm sure they still are, about how, for example, seniors are one of the fastest growing populations of people using cannabis. And I think I ticked somebody off once when I did a lecture, and I was like, that's not true. <laughs> they they grew up during the war on drugs, so, you know, they're not going to disclose what's going on. And, and when I was working in the dispenser, I was actually surprised at, like, how many senior visitors we had, and they weren't there, of course, were people that were new to cannabis, but there were a lot of people that were actually 
pretty pretty experienced. So whenever I do my seniors classes, I always say, you know, I'm not going to talk down to you because if you didn't if you didn't use it, you probably knew somebody who did, and it's actually much more prevalent in your age group than people give you credit for. And I always get applause for that one. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You know. Yeah. Things, things people don't didn't tell us back then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you and you talked about some of the challenges with this, but what are what are some other challenges that you've that you've encountered with, um, just like the industry systems, just things that you're trying to solve to make it a much more smoother place to do business. Yeah. So I, I talked about this a little bit before, but you know, one of the big issues with uh, multi-state operators, which a lot more companies are starting to get into um, is the different regulations across the different regions. Um, not being able to sort of normalize their production across state lines. So, you know, having to contain everything in one um, regulatory region. Um, yeah, I mean, th those are really two of the biggest issues with um, that people are trying to solve. Mm -hmm. And then the last one I would talk about is um, communication between different uh, facilities, right? So a lot of, you know, a lot of these larger multi-state operators, they actually have multiple facilities in each state and then they have things out of state and they really need to be able to see their data across the entire operation. So allowing people to roll up data from disparate places where you really don't want those other uh, facilities to see data from each other, but you want to have that sort of central repository of data where you can look at, you know, marketing trends, market trends, and um, productivity trends, and, uh, you know, how does this strain perform over there? How does this strain work when I extract it? You know, those are, those are really interesting pieces of data that the more data you have, the more meaningful it is to do analytics on it. Yeah. And I, it seems in many ways, like, depending on how long a state has had a program, I mean, you see this process of maturing, like somebody was mentioning to me recently, um, they just started operations in Oklahoma and they were like, Sarah, Oklahoma is like California 12 years ago. It's like a sandwich bag <laughs> with a candy bar <laughs> and a piece of paper. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> you know, and you, you look at it and you look at what we've done here in California and I wonder, like, when we're looking at other states as they're maturing, if we can look at the states that have more mature programs to kind of make a hypothesis of the trajectory of those individual markets uh, as consumers get more savvy along with operators. I'm wondering if you've seen anything around that. You know, it's interesting because I, I feel like each state kind of has its own character. Yep. And and things kind of go along in different ways everywhere. Uh, my sister lives in Oregon. Um, and, you know, cannabis just blanketed the state as soon as it was legal. Um, and so now it's just sort of a daily part of life. And I feel like here in California, we're a little bit more patchwork. I mean, I live in the Bay Area. And the funny thing is there are hardly any dispensaries between me and San Jose and San Francisco. It, that, so we have plenty down here and plenty up there and none in the middle. <laughs> I know. It's wild. It's wild. And even in, in the, you know, the established cities, it's still incredibly hard to, you know, in California to have a dispensary. I um, I'm in the Bay Area as well. And um, I'm actually on the Cannabis Oversight Committee for San Francisco. And just like what people have to go through to to get permits and to actually have a business and just like the how high the bar is in California to actually have a functional business and we're legalized just blows my mind. And, you know, as soon as we start talking about that, we have to start talking about social equity. Yep. Right. Because when the bar's that high it excludes people who, you know, were unduly affected by the war on drugs and, and by the, the 
misapplication of drug laws over the years. Um, yeah, so, you know, I think California is relatively good at this, but we really need to figure out how can we make sure that uh, the social equity pro- programs are really working yeah. and bringing those folks into the industry. It's true. Well, I think in some ways we have to close some of the loopholes because back when we were first talking social equity, that was, well, San Francisco, we had our San Francisco Legalization Task Force and I was vice chair on there. We were having conversations about what that would look like. And the vague descriptors that we have to use for people to qualify actually creates a lot of loopholes for people who the programs aren't even meant for to step in and, and honestly take advantage of equity players, which we need to do a lot of work towards getting rid of. And the fact that these are people that are already, you know, how do I say it? It's like they need to have a leg up and more opportunity to create their businesses and they're still having to pay crazy, crazy rents in the middle of the permitting process, however long that takes. Um, at least in San Francisco, that's what's going on. And we have, you know, they just um, released some of the first grants this year to equity operators, which is wonderful. But I think we need, we have more conversations as far as what we're doing to level up. And also the fact that that's the reason that, you know, we have an illicit market that is booming is because we aren't doing what we said we were going to do from the get-go, which was creating opportunities for people to easily have legitimate businesses. Not that, I mean, the traditional market is like they obviously have businesses and they're very talented entrepreneurs and it's like sometimes when you say that to people who are outside the industry they look at you like confused like but they're breaking the law and it's like well <laughs> yes and <laughs> who's giving them the opportunity to easily shift into something that you know they can actually be profitable as because as you know all the the taxation and just all the craziness that we're expected to do in this industry really makes it extraordinarily prohibitive to succeed. And like somebody I was reading this morning, somebody was saying that it's more cannabis is, is more of a long game than, than, you know, in the, in the short term, you know, you have to be able to be sustainable to succeed because there are just so many roadblocks in the way that will take you back a couple notches every so often. Yeah, the complexity of the regulations, especially in California, and some of the crazy taxes, like uh, cultivation tax. Yeah. The the complexity of calculating what that is and getting it right, you know, making sure that you still have a profit margin after you pay that. It's, um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty crazy. And that's actually one of the things that Backbone uh, helps with because, you know, we help uh, our customers be as productive as they can be, help them understand their data, help them do things like calculate cultivation tax and help them with compliance. And so, you know, it takes some of that burden off getting up and running um, and then, you know, operating over the long haul and really being able to be productive enough to be profitable. Yeah. And how does it how does it interact with metric? Because I not only in this state, but other states, people have been really like tearing their hair out about metric. And I'm really I'm I'm very curious to see what the future will be with that software. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, you know, because we're operating in a couple of different states, some of which have metric and some of which have other software or no software um, for track and trace. Uh, we've we've put some thought into this. We did start with an integration with Metric in California, um, and I have to brag a little bit about my engineering team. Um, they are brilliant, and the way that they've done the our Metric integration, it smooths over some of the rough edges of the interactions with Metric. Um, and so when they interact in Backbone, we push that data directly into Metric. Um, so basically, they don't have to touch metric at all. Oh, once that's nice. Using backbone. Uh, well, there, there are two exceptions. Metric doesn't have uh, an API, which is the way that we interact with metric uh, programmatically. Um, they don't have an API for accepting 
uh, cannabis transfers or shipping cannabis transfers. So that's the one thing they actually have to do in metrics, but everything else we cover. What do you, what do you, uh, when we talk about, sorry, I just stumbled on my words for a sec there. I was thinking about federal legalization and interstate commerce at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) But when we are looking at federal legalization and the possibility of interstate commerce, are there any, and I know this is totally jumping the gun, so you you can you can tell me no, Sarah. We haven't thought about that yet. We have enough on our plate. <laughs> <laughs> but have you have you given that any thought? Has there been any like beginning conversations about what that might look like, or what you're excited about? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I mean, of course, we're thinking about it. Um, you know, we have no idea when it's actually going to happen, um, and so we have to be prepared, right? Because once it happens, sure, there will be a slow roll out, I'm sure, like there has been everywhere else. Um, But we have to be ready and we have to make sure our customers are ready to communicate uh, data across state lines and, you know, get ready to do transfers and understand how the regulations are going to work together. (laughs) It's going to be a really uh, messy process, I think, sort of reconciling everything that the individual states are doing with whatever the federal rules are going to be. yeah, so we're definitely starting to think about that and, and you know, hearing a few little, you know, there's an article here about what's going to happen with the DEA and an article over here and the FDA and uh, how it's going to regulate the hemp industry. So, you know, we're just kind of keeping our, our ears open and planning for how, how we can um, make sure that data... <laughs> data that it doesn't exactly match across the different state lines um, is going to flow. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it'll be interesting to see how quickly that happens because I was reading yesterday about there are some very interesting people that are being considered for the drug czar position in Washington. So it could... I, I'm really wondering, like, how that's going to affect us on a federal level because there are definitely some people on there that are friendly to medical cannabis but not so friendly to adult use. So I think when I look at that, I, I consider the impact that will have on federal legalization. I wonder what that's going to be like, you know? Yeah, yeah. We we kind of just have to be prepared for anything, Um because we don't really know what's happening and, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm it, not sure that there are any players big enough right now who are lobbying when, you know, lobbying in any particular direction. Well, here the Koch brothers are, and that scares me a little. Cause... <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, maybe big tobacco, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's what somebody was talking about, you know, that just because the Koch brothers are our supporting cannabis doesn't necessarily mean you want to do business with them. And, you know, I, I occasionally get political on my podcast, but for me, that would be like being Darth Vader's bridge partner. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's the underlying agenda there? Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's the one thing I just kind of going back to, you know, when you're talking about all the amazing uh, people and women in the industry that I'm really grateful for is that we have a lot of people who are, you know, cannabis is, is bipartisan. And in that, you know, whether we're talking about people who are the, the spectrum, the spectrum of political affiliation, I'll just say that, you know, there are some really, really good people that care about, you know, it's more than a business to them. And so we still have a lot of activism to make sure that things are done right. And of course, we have a lot of work to do to rectify some of the mistakes that we've made. And, you know, when we look at, like you were saying, you know, the different states, the different policies and everything, a lot of it is built on state culture. But I still feel that, you know, we, in a lot of ways, the different states almost reinvent the wheel instead of being wise enough to look at other states and see what's working and what isn't with policy. And then also educating the public on what that all means, because we get a lot of people who are really frustrated about the accessibility of cannabis, how expensive it is, and they're not really understanding that a lot of the expense has nothing to do with the producers or the dispensaries. 
it has to do with all the lovely taxation that's been baked in due to, you know, the policies that have been established. And I, more than ever, I think because it is becoming normalized and more people are using it, um, I use that as an opportunity, as a call to action for people saying, you know, this is, this is something that you can actually do something about. We need to let our policymakers understand that, you know, we're productive adults, we pay taxes, we have jobs, we use cannabis, and we vote so that we can change some of these policies so that, you know, maybe we will be a step closer to interstate commerce. You know, maybe doing business will get a little less complicated for people so that they can actually thrive. And quite possibly, and hopefully this is, I think, one of the most important things, is that price-wise and product-wise, it becomes more accessible for the people who need it the most. Yeah, that's one of the things that I think is really interesting about the cannabis industry is, you know, how many people are in it for such different reasons. You know, there's the the recreational side where it's fun. There's the wellness side. And then there's the medicinal side, um, all of which are totally legitimate and useful and have, you know, have a slightly different focus. Yeah. it's just a really complex, interesting industry with a lot of passionate people involved. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I, one of the things that I noticed, because I was still I was still in the dispensaries when we were going into legalization, and I actually work for Apothecarium. So we have our three stores in San Francisco, our one in Berkeley and Capitola, but we're also out on the East Coast. Um, where was I going with that? <laughs> I just had this moment. I was like, where was I going with that? Something about the different markets, different regions, people are in it. Mm. Yeah, that's, oh, yes, I know what it was. Okay, thank you for that. <laughs> I don't normally do that. I haven't had enough coffee this morning yet, apparently. And I just had a Vietnamese coffee. But I know what I was going to say. So when we were going into the adult use market, what I found was that there were a lot of people that felt a, a little bit more empowered to come in and ask questions. So they may not have wanted to have had a conversation with their doctor with the possibility of getting a medical recommendation, or they felt that you know, they didn't qualify because that was only for people who were severely ill. But we were getting, like, everybody was thinking that it was going to be tons of people come in going, oh, I want to get high, I want to just, you know... I want to get a bunch of joints and just smoke them all or whatever. And it was like, no, actually, we're getting people that are coming in saying, hey, I'm having a little anxiety or I'm having problems sleeping. And I want to check this out and see if it helps because a friend of mine got these chocolate covered blueberries and they worked really well for her. You know, and that's Mm -hmm. it was nice to be able to see people coming in, having like some questions. I always tell people that they should, you know, whether they're using it recreationally or what have you or somewhere in between that they should let their doctors know so that they have like a full you know view of what they're using you know and doing because you know doctors also ask us you know do you drink alcohol do you smoke you know and not saying that it's the same but it gives them a full a full picture of what everybody's doing so that you know, it, when things come up, they know, oh, well, you know, they're using this for sleep or anxiety or they just like to chill out with it. And it's it's just important to have those conversations. Um, but where was I going with that? Sorry. I <laughs> <laughs> but I just think it's really I, I'd be I'm really interested to see. And I know that, you know, your software won't do that as much, but it'll reflect on the when you see like the products that are going in and out, like how many people are actually using cannabis to kind of create a sort of balance without necessarily relegating it to medicinal use. Yeah, I think that's true. And, you know, there's really a need for that, a need to understand the, what people are doing out there. Um, The one way that backbone actually helps with this is in consistency of product. Um, you know, that's one of the things that, 
it's hard to get when you're growing flour, um, but a little bit easier when you're doing manufacturing is to make sure that you're the, you know, when you're producing the same product over and over, that it actually behaves the same every time you get it, uh, which is important when people are using it to treat themselves for things like anxiety or, or sleep. Right, right. One thing I always let people know, too, is that you need to, I mean, having the one product cons- consistency is important, but it actually is a good idea to have a couple of products that have a similar ratio because one thing that I've learned working with people is that if you use the same thing over and over, the body is incredibly adaptive and that's when we start using more and tolerance starts to go up and you know, no, there's no, and that's, that's without creating shame around tolerance because <laughs> there's no issue with that. But people get frustrated when they have to use more product and it becomes more expensive. So quite often I tell people, you know, what we're looking at for our goal is, the appropriate ratio at the lowest volume possible that creates a desired reaction in the body and have a couple of products that you really like that you go back and forth between occasionally because even if it has the same ratio you're still looking at a different plant source and even if it's the same like cultivar or strain it's, it's coming from a different grower they're going to be the phenotypes so there'll be enough of a variation for the impression to remain fresh in the body so I think like it's a it's one of those things where yeah you want to have the same experience every time you have a certain product and you have to create some sort of variation for yourself so that you're always satisfied with the results as well because our bodies are just they're fascinating with how they work with these products or even just like looking at products and when they make suggested dosages i always kind of laugh a little because you know with all the people that I've seen, you know, I've seen people with extraordinarily low tolerances where like one milligram is enough for them and people with really high tolerances. And those those people can't believe that there's somebody else out there that's exactly the opposite from them, you know, but we are walking mm-hmm. chemistry experiments. We're all so incredibly different. So we have this, the harnessing of the industry in a way where we're legitimizing it and creating these controls that serve us well. And then we also have to remember that like we're these organisms that behave in funky ways and so you know it's 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 an interesting thing to see these two worlds kind of collide in the industry yeah it is really interesting and you know it's it's, it seems like the human body and cannabis were kind of made for each other oh yeah Um, I learned this really interesting thing from one of my colleagues who's been in industry for like 25 years he's like old school Humboldt traditional market guy. Um, and he was telling me that if you get too high, so you take too much THC, mm-hmm. if you actually smoke a pure CBD vape pen or something, you will become less high. Yeah. I had no idea. I think that's so fascinating. <laughs> it's, it's really nice. I, um, it definitely downregulates. THC and that's why well I don't if you haven't you may have met them but I'm not sure if you have the there's there are two gentlemen David and Michael they're um Brownie Mary uh Democratic Club they're the heads of that and they're like if if you've ever seen them at parties they're two older gentlemen that have they always wear hats with pot leaves on them and they have been activists for years um, David used to be a math teacher in San Francisco. He actually taught Gavin Newsom when he was in school. Oh, <laughs> yeah. But I learned that from them because every time that we'd be at a gathering, they would always have a couple of CBD joints on them. And they would always watch to make sure everybody was doing okay. And if somebody was seemed like they may have taken more than they needed, they would always sidle up to them with like a CBD joint and be like, here, have a couple puffs. <laughs> it seems so counterintuitive but trust me I know, doesn't it though yeah well <laughs> and I think that that's kind of one of the interesting things about you know using cannabis is that there are so many things that can seem counterintuitive like I remember somebody once telling me you know when you have the flu using cannabis is actually really nice to help you rest and soothe you and I'm thinking if I'm already feeling sick do I really want to be high too you know, but I I remember trying it for the first time and I actually 
got rest through the night. And, um, and it made perfect sense then because it just helped with all the discomfort. But there are so many, so many interesting things around the cannabinoids and terpenes and all of that that we're still learning. But it's, I, I just, I love it. As an educator, one of the things that I love is that you never stop learning with this because we're always we're always exploring new things new things come up things that we thought were truths are disproven on the regular and for me that's not frustrating it's actually kind of exhilarating like it's really nice to work in a field where there's always a constant opportunity for growth yeah that's really exciting the progress of science yeah. When we look at like the future of the industry, what are some of the things that you're excited about? Um, and I don't know, mean to put I, you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, actually, I was just thinking about this while you were talking. Um, I'm really excited to see more scientific research being done on the health benefits of cannabis. Um, and actually using it as medicine, you know, I think that's been uh, stifled for so long. It'll be nice to see that happen um, and actually get some evidence behind some of the claims that people make um, and, and some of the anecdotal evidence, too. You know, it's pretty clear that it works for things like epilepsy and, and stuff. And so it'd be nice to have some regulated studies so that everybody can participate in that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one of the other things is I having it um, become widely accepted as a recreational drug like alcohol, I think, would be really exciting. Um, you know, in some ways, it's it's less destructive <laughs> than alcohol is. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. And, you know, the other thing is getting a lot of people into the industry who and and the, you know, everybody benefiting from this industry that um, has so much potential. You know, the growth has been amazing over the last few years, and I think that's really exciting. As we're seeing it expand even globally, you know, we've, we've been talking to a lot of different countries. Um, it really seems like there's a sea change in the worldwide uh, acceptance of cannabis, you know, Israel and Mexico, you know, all of these disparate places starting to think about recreational use um, and making it legal. Yeah. Um, and actually, that's one of the interesting things that we've seen with those countries is that they are looking, um, especially to California, but to other places as well, to understand, you know, what regulations have worked and how should they model their programs. So you just a little, mentioned a little bit earlier about mm -hmm. our states learning from each other, at least countries are learning from what the states are doing. Yeah, I I appreciate their wisdom in that because it's it's <laughs> it's really silly. It's like one of the things that I've just noticed in our country is that our policies aren't necessarily based on fact or the track records of other states, but like we mentioned both mentioned earlier, you know, state culture is really strong and we still have a lot of policy that's based on stigma. And you know that doesn't that just creates problems down the road. I really hope that we use this as an opportunity to actually change the way we do business. And you know, not only from like the scientific approach, but also like we were talking earlier about equity and also compassion. Like just really figuring out like how I. I the one thing that always frustrates me is when states look at cannabis tax as a cure-all for all their woes. That isn't going to happen, especially with how we're overtaxed. I mean, Colorado's done some really great stuff, but that's just one example. But what we really need to look at is how we can have social responsibility going across the board for all all companies in the United States, and maybe lessen. So some people may be taking on a little bit more, but it'll lessen the load in other industries such as ours and just how we can use that to create a stronger infrastructure in our country. Yeah, I think you're right. Corporate responsibility and, uh, you know, I, I really feel like the pandemic has changed a lot of people's mindsets about that. It's, 
you know, made the inequities in our country so clear um, and really highlighted the role that corporations play in keeping people down. And uh, yeah, I think we have an opportunity in cannabis to make sure that we're not one of those industries, that we're really working for each other, not not taking advantage. Yeah, it can. I think it could be really inspiring for other industries, and also inspiring for policymakers to create different policy. Um, but I think that we have a lot of work to do with that because, like we were talking about earlier, there's a lot of different people with different interests that are getting involved. And as much as I like to talk more about everything that's going right and some of the amazing people that you and I are both really lucky to work with, there are there are people that want to perpetuate some of the toxic practices that we see in other other corporate arenas. And I think that uh, that's something that we really need to be cautious of. It's, you know, it's interesting, yeah. you know, because like during when we were in the time of medicinal cannabis, I remember people saying, oh, you know, if it's legalized, you know, Marlboro will be into it. And, you know, so and so owns all this. They're like legends of large corporations owning land up in Mendocino and Humboldt, lying in wait for the day that we go into legalization. And, you know, you're just kind of like, uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. You know, in the back of your mind, you're like, I wonder if that could really happen. And now, I mean, it's not that, but we definitely are seeing a lot of large corporations getting in on the game. I mean, we have like, you know, a PBR infused seltzer that's out there somewhere. Um, and Heineken's in on the game with like Hi-Fi Hops because that's a Lagunitas Canacraft collaboration. But if they're going to come in, how do we how do we make sure that we influence them to be good players because we can't tell there's no way we're keeping people out and nor do I think we should. It's like if, if I were philosopher queen, (laughs) I would just be like, you know, deregulate it, have it be free market and make sure that everything's tested. You know, it's like have, have regulations around or not deregulate it. Um, uh, deschedule it. I'm sorry. I stand corrected. Deschedule it and free market. Um, but regulate it to make sure that people are getting what they're they're paying for and that it's safe. Um, but, you know, just like I just feel like there's just so much that the people who are here already can do to influence people who are going to be entering the industry so that we can maintain responsibility and integrity in the industry. Yeah, that's such an important word, integrity. It's, it's it's one of those things where, you know, I try to live my life that way. And that's one of the reasons I joined Backbone, because all the folks involved um, really hold that in high value. Um, and, you know, as we've, we've expanded out into the industry, we're, we're finding so many people in cannabis where that's really important. And so, yeah, as long as we can keep that influence up and really... Um, you know, hopefully through social pressure and and sort of uh, industry and community uh, work, keep keep that up in the industry. Keep keep the integrity, um, so that new players understand that that's how we operate. Yeah, as a community. Yeah, I agree. And we're geez, our time went by so fast. We're getting to <laughs> it. Really did. <laughs> We're getting to the end of our hour, but, and, and, and here I am, Erica, putting you on the spot again, but, um, to share with our listeners, uh, is there anything else before we start to, to close our session that you'd like to share with our listeners? Cause I always want to make sure that I'm, I'm giving you all the opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, you know, I, um, I have given a talk several times on choosing software for your business. Um, that's sort of my background, financial software, ERP. Um, and, you know, I want to say, of course, I'm biased towards Backbone. I think Backbone is great. But picking the right software for your company is the most important thing. So finding, you know, what's important to you, um, making sure it's easy to use, and then making sure it's going to grow with you 
as long as you have those things, um, you've got the right software. That's sort of my closing argument. <laughs> well, it's a valuable one because I know a lot of people are, you know, trying to figure out what works best for them. And it's, you know, it's an interesting thing to have to navigate all these systems and, uh, and have a success. And I mean, that creates your successful business, right? Um, right, exactly. And, and, you know, finding, finding someone who solves your problems, that's really the important thing. Someone who understands you and solves the problems that you have. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the name of the game. You can't do it all yourself. And, no. and, and the state doesn't want you to. <laughs> <laughs> so for our listeners um if they want to follow you on social media or get more information how would they do that uh so we have a website it's um backboneiq.com um we also have instagram and facebook at backbone software twitter uh is at backbone success and linkedin is backbone iq Awesome. Erica Tingey, thank you so much for being here today. Um, for our listeners out there, if you'd like to follow Planted on social media, we are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It is Planted with Sarah. Website is www.plantedwithsarah.com. You can listen to us on Spotify, Pandora, Apple, Amazon, Google, Stitcher, Anywhere that you find your favorite podcast, chances are we are there too. Erica, thank you so much. This was, it was very educational and it's always really nice connecting with wonderful, bright women in our industry. So I'm looking forward to non-pandemic time when we run into each other at some event or something like that. Thanks, Sarah. It was awesome talking to you. I'm looking forward to that too. <laughs> and for everybody else out there, I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day. Remember that Planted has gone to two episodes a month. So tune in next time. And until then, stay safe, stay healthy. And it's a crazy world out there. So be good to each other. Take care. Take care.